You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next exciting episode of the Citrep Podcast. Joining me today, as always, is our big man, the historical editor, guru, game creator himself, Mr. Jim Ariskany. Sir, how are you today? Oh, I can't complain too much. How are you? I am doing well. It's a beautiful sunny day here in central uh, Midwest of the United States of Grand Ole America. And joining me in the region is Martin, our projects director. Marty? Hello, hello, hello. Yes, that's nice. So, uh, as you said before, it's going to get super steamy and muggy today. That's so, why uh, I got I a pool. Must, yeah, well, uh, maybe I'll come over and join you. Come but, on over, uh, bud. For this, we still got a whole morning. bunch of beer in the fridge. Uh, okay, I guess you talked me into it. Make sure you bring <laughs> some of those 1 to 1800 miniatures and do some uh, <laughs> do some miniature gaming in the pool. Some, some naval combat. Excellent. Oh, hey, Island. There you go. Chris can bring his, uh, what is that, oak and iron, those little ships? Yeah. Yeah, we should do that. And I'll get the BB gun out, and we'll shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) It might put a hole uh, in my pool, though. Yeah, I was going to say, we had to replace the liner in your pool last summer. Let's not do that. Yeah, Dawn would kill me. Uh, She would. I mean, like, murder you right there on the the back patio. Exactly. And also joining us here in the warm and steamy Midwest is our IT guy, Mr. Chris. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well, thanks. I hear you're doing ITing things today. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, would you be able to join us for some pool and libations later, or are you all day booked? No, I, I will be able to. Uh, I started early this morning, and uh, hopefully if things go well. Uh, I should be wrapping up uh, here in the next uh, couple hours. Been freaking fantastic. All right, let's reel it back into the why we are here. We are here to talk about anything related to wargaming in a historical format. Um, so like we traditionally do every episode is we do a quick catch-up with each person to find out what they've got going on, what they've been up to in the world of wargaming. So we're going to start with the easy one. Chris, what you been doing? Um, attending, uh, funerals and hosting, uh, uh, relatives. Okay. That's really a downer, man. I'm very sorry for, uh, the loss condolences from here, us at the team. Uh, was this a family member or f- friends or, uh, aunt, great aunt. Gotcha. Well, from the whole community, we send out our condolences to you, sir. Well, thank you. You're but welcome. Obviously it uh, got in the way of, uh, of course stuff of course although with uh uncle kevin over there uh you know uh visiting uh you guys while uh he was able so he could attend the memorial and whatnot uh your driveway looked great with all of our trucks parked in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> looked like a looked like a a used truck uh sales lot over there the other night yeah three pickups in the driveway the way it lo- should look uh-huh all right Moving on down the neighborhood, Marty, what you been up to? 
so uh, I have been, uh, I finished up my little uh, uh, Afghan national police suits, uh, painting them. I uh-huh. still have to do their, I still have to do the basing on them, but the, the painting is done. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, so I can uh, now use my Afghan National Police in uh, some of my games. And uh, my thought was kind of use them like uh, like we were using uh, the insurgents in the uh, uh, 13 days to 13 hours where they can flip either side. Uh-huh. I think that's a good mechanic for, for them, especially given uh, like the uh, the climate there uh, in Afghanistan, you know, as it stands today. Right. You know, sometimes. You know, so sometimes they're like, yeah, this, this is our house. And sometimes they're like, yeah, it looks like we're going to go with the winning team. And that's you guys. So, yeah, we'll, we'll hang out with those. So I, I think that would be a, a cool addition to uh, a couple of the games I've played. Sure. Uh, the other thing that I've been uh, been working on is uh, uh, painting up uh, a couple of my uh, uh, vehicles for Dust 1947. Uh-huh. So uh, I have... Uh, some mercenary walkers and i decided since those are uh the the demolition chicks that uh i would use turbo dork paints on them okay so uh i've i've discovered that that the, those are very difficult to uh to thin correctly and run through my air yeah they don't they they there's I, I think there's some secret sauce because i've seen a lot of people you know say it's very hard to use in an airbrush i think it's just yeah, the pigmentation it, or whatever do you like those paints? Uh, yes, for the most part. I, I like the way they turn out when they turn out right. Right. They can be, they can be a little difficult to use. Yeah. And again, I think that boils down to mostly being able to thin them right. And uh, the secret sauce for me was lots of flow improvers uh, and trying to figure out what that ratio was right. that makes my uh, my airbrush uh, happy. But uh, you know, the thoughts are that they uh, they don't make any of their own stuff so they steal it or find it on the battlefield so yeah. i uh, uh i painted them all i painted all the the vehicles uh in an, a generic green army scheme because i knew i was gonna paint over them so i didn't you know go crazy with it right. and then i laid uh a layer of uh turbo dork paint over it so one is uh people eater people eater purple that's a good color. Uh, which which turned out fantastic and it's you know, uh, you can still see a little bit of the green coming through there, uh-huh. and that's actually a really good look. And then the other one, I went for Bubblegum Crisis, which is uh, supposed to be pink, yeah. but because I wasn't laying it over a black uh, base, uh-huh. it actually turned out more gold. Not the look I was going for, but, you know, it turned out pretty good, so, sure. you know, I'll take it. Yep. Well, you got the Crisis part down, then. Yeah, yeah, there was, plenty, there was there was plenty of crisis. So my first try turned out so bad that I ended up stripping both models completely and uh, starting over. Yeah, it uh, again that that was you know trying to get the the paint thin correctly and right. uh, yeah, it just looked like crap. So yeah. it, 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 they, it's for a medium. Uh, it's a hard medium to use. Um, you know, it, it, I have found that it has to really be a dark background, blackish or something. You know, really dark as a primer for those colors to really do what it is they designed to do. I, I don't find that like the lighter primers work as well as darker. Um, so sometimes that eliminates some of what you can do with them. You yeah, know, I, would, I was sent you... test uh, bottles when they first came onto the market and I've used them. 
they're nice paints, but I don't have a use for them, to be honest with you, you know, outside of like some spaceships for um, drop fleet or something like that. Or I've used it, uh, some of the blues for uh, painting like uh, goggles and glasses, you know, like sunglasses and stuff. On right. Yeah. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, the, none of that color range lends itself to historical anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh you know, I, I thought that, uh, you know, it'd be a neat uh, uh, change of pace uh, for, you know, the weird World War II, you yep. know, given that, you know, the, the mercenaries, one, they're uh, almost exclusively female, yeah. uh, and two, all of their stuff is stolen. So let's, let's differentiate it from, you know, what the, uh, what the original vehicle was, and, you know, this is how they would have modified it kind of thing. Uh, and it was just a fun experiment. I'm, yeah. uh, I get, I, I do don't have a whole lot of stuff to use it on, but I'm like, I really like the way the, uh, the paints turn out when they're, when they're running nice, I got to find something to paint this with. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what, that's what I had. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. It's pretty cool looking. Yep. You know, I'll find, I'll find something in the future to, to paint it up with. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's good to hear that you're working on some right. of your dust models because, uh, I know you'll be getting an influx of a large amount of dust stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll talk yeah, about that later on the episode. But uh, yeah, you're going to begin. You and Chris will be receiving a large quantity of dust stuff. Um, a couple of things I want to clarify, or uh, and Marty for uh, one of the things to clarify: he was tripping the vehicles, not the miniature. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got gotcha. you. And um, uh, wait a minute, I need I need to provide some clarification. Are you sure? How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> what I do in my loft is my business, sir. <laughs> Pay in any way I want to. Thank you. And you and you definitely like little people, so yeah. yeah how about it? <laughs> For those of you that don't know, my wife is four feet tall. Oh, and your daughters aren't much taller. And you're not that tall either, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the big guy at 5'9". <laughs> All right. So, moving along, just down the road, uh, what have I been up to? Well, Jim and I duked it out on Wednesday night live. Um, I play, Believe it or not, I played the Germans, and he played the American. I think it was the 29th Infantry, right, Jim, is what we said they were? I think they said 16th Regimental Combat Team, okay. which, yeah, are, are part of 29th Infantry that landed at Omaha. Okay. Yeah, it was a total role reversal for you guys. Yeah. You were, you were playing the Axis, and you were the you were the game master. You had to, you had to run the board. Yeah, so uh, we discovered some interesting quirks about the uh, Valor and Victory uh, PC simulation game. Uh, the biggest quirk is you cannot play PvP, like traditionally. They're using a PBEM, play-by-email, which is a, literally a modernized version of play-by-mail, like you used to do in the 60s and 70s with, like, Avalon Hill games. You would have this you know, paper, and you'd, you know, mark out all your moves. You would send it to your opponent via mail. They would do their thing, and, it, I mean, literally it would take, what, months to play one game, right, Jim? Because depending on how often you were sending it back and forth. Um so, yeah, if you're going all the way back to the old, like, you know, lick a stamp and, uh, you know, actually play by mail, play by mail, yeah. to grief. Yeah. yeah. yeah there, Those are the days. There's a reason why we call it snail mail. 
Yeah. So, I mean, so Valorant Victory, the PC simulation game, does do player versus player, but by play by email. So you take your turn. It sends an email to your opponent, says, okay, they've taken your turn. You go in, you do your turn, and it goes vice versa, right? So I'm like, that's kind of silly. So then uh, there's a thing called Hot Seat, which is literally where you guys would, like, be in the same room. You're playing on one computer, so one guy takes his turn, gets out of the seat, the other person gets in the seat and plays their turn, and or you sit next to each other. You know what I mean. So it, it was. I'm like, this is not very conducive to a head-to-head play. Uh, we made it work, you know, but I was really hoping for some more interactive. Jim could move his guys because, you know, and as Jim found out, as he's thinking through his movements at some point, he did an assault move, like, in the very last turn, and, you know, he knew what he wanted to do, but how it ended up, it didn't end up exactly, you know, it's easier when you can actually physically manipulate your pieces as you're thinking about it versus thinking about and having somebody else do it for you. Um, but it, it worked out for you in the end. Um, yeah, I mean, you totally- Yeah, I mean, that that was just, uh, that the move that you're talking about, there was, um, apparently they have invented or created um, some, some different building rules. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in Valorant Victory, it's all like pen and paper Valorant Victory, tabletop Valorant Victory. It's always two points to enter a building. And on that particular map, uh, we were playing Colleyville, by the way, um, sometimes some of the buildings required three movement points to enter. And I was using a salt move, which is half your movement. My movement was six because I had a leader in the stack and I wanted to move two hexes. And I was picturing in my head, the tabletop rule, two hexes into the building, one hex across the street, or I should say two points to move into the building hex, one movement point to move across the street, ready for an assault. I get to leverage that plus one cover bonus for my assault move. No, but it took three points to move into that building. I wasn't across the street yet. I was no longer in range to assault. Um, yeah, that wasn't like really the game's fault. That was just, I didn't realize it cost three points to move into that building. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, like, like you said, it all worked out. So yeah, that was, that was definitely a fun game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I was very surprised by that last move when you assaulted and I'm like, Got totally wiped out. It was like, I, it was my heaviest stack at that point, you know, because I pretty much lost everything. And boom, here here you go, and, you know, there it goes. So it was a good I've, game. I've kind of, like, rewatched that and kind of, like, gone through the math. Um, yeah, it was literally a 50-50 shot. I needed a 5 down on 2d6, and I had a plus 2 officer, which means I needed a 7 down. So, yeah, anyone who plays craps knows, you know, 7 or down on 2d6. That's straight down the middle, 50-50. No matter what, that stack of mine that was doing the attacking was going to get wiped out because the casualty point cost for that assault would have been two points, two casualty points for the two infantrymen you had in the stack plus three for the building means five. I only had like, I think, um, three casualty points in my stack. So no matter what my guy was taking out, uh, it was kind of a suicide move for him. Uh, Captain Simpkins, I think it was. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, 50-50, he took that last German stack with him. And sadly for me, as the American player, um, I was uh, I had the offensive you know, burden of victory, so to speak. The victory conditions demanded that I kill or pin, eliminate or pin, every German unit on the table by the end of turn seven. 
and it was turn seven, so it was make or break time. I had the more powerful force. It's classic asymmetrical wargaming. I had the more powerful force, but I had the more difficult victory conditions. All you had to do was survive. Yeah. If you had at least one, you know, one half stack somewhere that wasn't killed or pinned at the end of turn seven, I think the game gives you the win. Um. So I meant to hit that last stack with uh, with two of my stacks, including a more powerful stack. Like we mentioned earlier, I kind of screwed up the way the more powerful stack uh, moved, so they wound up not being able to, to participate in that last assault, and it, therefore in goes you know my weak stack all by himself. It turns into a suicide mission, and he got lucky. It was literally a 50-50 die roll, the last die roll of the game. Yeah. It was a good game. And I'll be honest with you, it was very difficult for me to play a defensive posture. I couldn't do it. I tried, and I couldn't do it. So, and it, and it cost me. I made some stupid moves. And turn one, I lost my only fighting armored vehicle. I, it just, I moved it. Jim sat in the perfect line of sight, hit it with his uh, bazooka, and that was that. So yeah, it didn't start off well. No, not there, at all. there, there, there are elements you. of uh, we, we talk about the the offensive versus the defensive role. There are elements of defense and, and offense and, and vice versa. So the way that map was shaped, almost like the buildings were shaped like with like an upside down Y, um, with a, a street heading right up the middle of the board, and then the southern half of the board. That street kind of divides into two um, forty five degree angles, and um, yeah. You know, I, I just put a whole bunch of guys um, in those buildings as a base of fire and then, you know, executed fire and maneuver with some of my other stacks moving up. Um, so that if you came out and assaulted, like, my poor tank, <laughs> <laughs> my poor little Stuart, you know, there's two platoons of guys with 30 cals, um, you know, conducting overwatch. And yeah. anyone that comes out to assault them gets, gets shoot up by all kinds of opportunity fire. Yeah, so uh, and we found a bug, and then uh, yeah, it's gonna say turn. Was it turn six that that showed up? Uh, five or turn? six, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so we we tried to assault the the uh, the Stuart, uh, the German uh, infantry tried to uh, literally assault the Stuart, and it would crash every time. Uh, but we found out, thankfully, it will automatically save the game at the change of the turn. So, you know, we had to replay the turn a few times till we figured out what was going on. But, uh, yeah, I, that first time I was like, what the hell happened? I'm like, we just went through all this and it crashes on us. So, yes, there is a bug. Uh, we thought we ruined the stream. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. Uh, if, if anybody if anybody um, has the game that's listening to the stream, uh, take the American campaign in um, the – the June release of Valor and Victory by Slytherin. Check out um, the American Attack. At the I think it's pronounced Colleville, C-O-L-L-E-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And um, that game that gives the Americans in their order of battle in the M3 Stuart light tank. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, if anyone can play, I'm going to try this probably either later today or maybe late tomorrow, um, in the solo you know game or whatever, play against the AI. Try to assault the American armored vehicle try to assault the american tank with german infantry yeah um maybe that's the game, game trying to save you from yourself you're like <laughs> no don't do that <laughs> well it was kind of too late because i mean yeah by that point it was setting up the like... assault just setting up the assault i think one time bill lost something like a platoon and a half yeah 
And again, because they were they're covered. They're, that that part of the game was, you know, to my credit, my tank was covered by infantry. What wasn't to my credit, and where I just got lucky was number one, the game crashed when Bill would try to assault my tank, and then number two, um, the one lucky break. I fully admit, people don't like to admit when they're lucky. They they chalk it up to their own brilliant tactics. Not here. There's no brilliant tactics on this side of the table. Um, the one lucky break I did get was uh, that Stuart took some opportunity fire on one of um, Bill's command stacks. And rather than the game allowing you to choose what casualties yeah. you take when you your stacks, yep. boom, there goes the Panzer Shrek, yep. the one anti-armor yep. weapon that, that Bill had in his armor of battle. Yeah, that, 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 that annoys would not me. Have, that, would, that would not happen on tabletop. Yeah. On tabletop, your stack takes casualties. Okay, you don't get to choose whether or not you took casualties. Enemy bullets took care of that for you. But within that stack, assuming that everything is destroyed, you get to pick what got destroyed. Right. And it's not just, oh, what guys got knocked down. But, okay, you've got 10 guys in a stack. One guy's carrying an MG-34. One guy's carrying a Panzer Shrek. Think about it in real life. Half your guys get taken out. Okay, you no longer have enough guys to both mount an MG-34 team and a Panzer Strike team. You as the sergeant in that hex get to choose and say to your guys, drop that MG-42 or MG-34, pick up that Panzer Strike. There's a tank out there. That's how the game works on tabletop. It doesn't seem to work that way in the, in the uh, computer game. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully, you know, I, I'm going to post up in the uh, forum um, over on Matrix Slytherin Games and, you know, point that out I, i'm assuming they did that for ease of play I, I don't know i don't know what the thought process was behind that but um yeah that was a little frustrating that, that's going to be to help things to help things speed up i actually talked yeah. to uh, some of the people that are involved because I'm, I'm building some materials to help them out with future releases that are hopefully coming out later this year um so i am in contact with them like behind the scenes mm -hmm. and i did kind of ask them about that not complaining but because i'm designing scenarios for part of wave two release that again comes out later on so as i'm play testing these scenarios i have to know how their version of the game interprets some valor and victory rules yeah so my play testing and my scenarios make some kind of sense right um yeah he came out and he was like yeah it just it would just it just takes too long because every time i mean think about it in the computer game every time you took casualties you would go back to the other player especially in a hot seat game where you literally have to get, you know, you know, scoot your computer chair out of the way and let the other guy, you know, get in there. You have to look at his stack now and pluck out what units, you know, you're choosing out of your stack to take casualties. So I do understand the decision. Some games do that on purpose. Force on Force is a great example. Force on Force does that. Um, okay, so a, a squad of, you know, U.S. Army Rangers or U.S. Marines or who knows who, Spetsnaz, SAS, a squad of trained soldiers coming across the street they take casualties that the, the owning player of those troops gets to pick what units as long as the right number of units are knocked out right are eliminated out of that partial stack and that's again um you, you don't get to decide where the bullets go in real life but when certain numbers of your guys get put down you get to choose okay who's taking care of the guy who just got wounded who's picking up his weapon and who is, you know, uh, what, what weapons is your squad or your fire team still going to carry? Mm -hmm. um, because everybody's cross-trained. That's the logic behind it in, in Force on Force. Right. Insurgents in Force on Force don't get that choice. What gets hit, gets hit. 
if there's a 10 guys coming across the street and one of them is an RPG and the RPG guy goes down, that RPG guy is down. Another insurgent does not get to pick up the RPG and continue forward because it, the logic is in those kinds of forces, there's not a lot of cross training. If the PK guy goes down, the RPK guy goes down, the RPG guy goes down, the, you know, the next insurgent has got his AK. That's what he, you know, what little training he has or practice he has is on that weapon. And that RPG is laying in the street. So there are some games that leverage that logic loop hole to their advantage. Um, I'm not sure. I think in Valor and Victory, it was just for uh, ease of computer play. It yeah. would really slow down the game. It would almost double the length of, of, of almost any turn. Yeah, I know. I get it. It just was frustrating because it's, you know, kind of your point. I believe the AI is programmed to take out the most potent weapon, you know, because there was a choice to what? There was a Panzer Shrek and then there was an MG 34, um, you know, and it took out the Panzer Shrek. So I don't know if they. Well, it, the, not, nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, the MG 34 is more useful. Yeah. This was just that tenth time where you really needed that Panzer Shrek. Yeah. Yeah, I needed it. MG thirty four will hit almost anything on the table. I mean MG thirty four tears up infantry, Panzer Shrek tears up armor. What are you fighting nine times out of ten in Panzer in uh, in Power Victory? You know, normally the MG thirty four is a preferred weapon. Right. But now this is a kind of a weird case where you were literally setting up to take out the American tank and then the very first guy to get knocked out by the American tank's opportunity fire as you entered that meadow was, oh, look, down goes Mr. Pencher. <laughs> yeah. Which was fun because I was getting, I was rolling really bad. I mean, the computer rolls the oh, dice yeah. for you. Know, 10, 10, 9, 10, 11. High rolls are bad in this game, everyone. And I was just like, man, I'm starting to grind my teeth a little bit. Can I please catch a break? And then all that bad luck got balanced at once with just that one beautiful shot. Yeah. Took out the pen. I guess, I, I guess fragmentation from that tiny little 37 millimeter anti-tank gun actually punctured a hole in the tube with the Panzer Shrek or something. I don't know. All of a sudden, I caught all the breaks. Just about that one lucky roll right there. Yeah. It was great. But Bill's response was pretty epic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Your your response was pretty epic. You were not pleased when that happened. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's that could took casualties and the only thing the game does is it flashes you up a little message saying casualties. I'm like, Ooh, I did casualties to that stack. I wonder if I knocked out the Panzer Shrek and we kinda hit the button that opens up the stack and I saw that the Panzer Shrek was not there anymore and I was like, Sweet Yeah. Bill was saying something yeah. else at the moment, but it's all good. Yeah, I probably said some <laughs> not nice words. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Well, I don't blame you. I, I would have been saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's just the way it goes. So uh, there was that, and, um, you know, I'm just working on some uh, projects, you know, the the uh, war of scale, if you will, you know, um, doing some um, battle group or North Hag in 3, 6, 10, 15, and 28 mil, so... And then I still have a video for painting, uh, 30-minute speed painting, uh, an infantry battalion slash brigade. I'm going to see how much I can get done in 30 minutes. Um, minimum of a battalion all the way up to brigade of the epic battles uh, from uh, Warlord Games for Epic Civil War. So we shall see. Um, Sir Jim, what's up? Yes. Um, not as much as usual. Uh, we did have an epic 
absolutely epic Panzer Leader game last week. Yeah, you did. On the Sit Rep podcast. Uh, me and our friend Andrew, um, sometimes known as Bruce Lee in the community. It was uh, good to see him. I haven't you know seen him around for a while, so it was good to see him. Yeah, we, we've been in touch. Um, I don't want to go into the details, but uh, yeah, I mean, 2020 was bad for a lot of people um, for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, so yeah, he's just been really, you know, really, really busy Yeah, uh, with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, he keeps, he kept like sending me apologies. Like, I, I'm please don't take me off the email list. Um, I do want to get together and, you know, do some more pains leader with it. It's just, I, I got to wait for the planets to align. Um, fortunately they finally did. And we did some uh, operation Goodwood, which was one of the major British offensives outside of the town of Caen, uh, in Normandy in the weeks following the D-Day landings in 1944. So everyone knows about D-Day, Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, June 6, 1944. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first day out of about two and a half months. Um, and June 6, 1944 is the day when everything went pretty well, mm-hmm. believe it or not, because uh, after that, it got hard. I mean, it got really bad. Outside of, outside of um, you know, Omaha Beach, which everyone, again, has seen in the movies, D-Day actually went pretty smooth. Some of the paratrooper, dro- paratrooper drops got a little um, scattered, and again, Omaha was a bit of a shambles um, as far as um, you know, a whole bunch of different factors. But other than that, the landings went. I mean, it was hard fighting on all five beaches, but other than that, the landings went pretty smooth, considering the difficulties they were up against. Yeah. The problem was all the planning was in that first day. After that, it was okay. Now what do we do? Um, and uh, it wasn't from lack of trying on the Allies' part. I mean, they had the Mulberry ports, they had the Pluto pipeline, you know. But you can only plan so far in the future because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the intervening days. Right. And, um, yeah, once you got into that Bokash country, if you guys ever get a chance to travel there, I've been up and down. I've been to all five of those beaches. I've been to all the landing grounds. I've been to Carentan, uh, Mirville, Falaise, all the way down to Morton, Argentan. I've been all everywhere. Not just the actual beaches, but that whole campaign area. And, um, yeah, they're not kidding around when they say that Bokash country is tough. So, yeah, it was a tough game. It was a very, very tough campaign in real life. And then for us, it was, it was a tough game on both sides, really. Um, but that was my hobby for the week, really. Uh, we had a great, uh, a great Panzer Leader game. Um, again, it came down to the last turn, which is always a good thing. I don't think it was quite as close as uh, – as our Valor and Victory game. Valor and Victory game, the last assault on the last turn, the last die roll was pretty much 50-50. Bruce's last assault on my third objective hex was not 50-50. I think he had like 45 Cromwells and Sherman tanks blowing up 10 empty German half-tracks. That was not (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. I think that last attack was like 13 to 1 odds or something. It was like... um, But I did manage to hold on to the last turn. Uh, I was playing the Germans again. Um, which again is usually the case. I'm usually, you know, stuck playing the bad guys. <laughs> I say stuck playing the bad guys. It's actually kind of fun to play the bad guys. Um, but yeah, I was playing, um, German, uh, Waffen SS and Wehrmacht, um, in a, one of the big, big tank battles on the Western front. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, that's been pretty much my hobby for the week. All right. Let's transition into some updates or news. Uh, Marty, do you have anything? This week. So uh, I don't have anything in particular. However, uh, something uh, something that I thought about while uh, we were talking about hobby is uh, 
I'm pretty sure that we, uh, we well, at least you and I, Bill, both back the uh, the Kickstarter from uh, from Footsore on their uh, uh, War of eighteen was War of eighteen twelve? No, Indian Wars. Uh, I'm trying to blank on it. Savage oh, uh, Savage Frontier. French Indian War. Okay. Yeah. The Savage yeah. Frontier. Yeah, Savage Frontier. Uh, nice. You know, because you were talking about uh, building. You know, you were working on building some uh, some stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I think that's coming out in a couple months. Yeah. Uh, it's September, isn't it? I think. You know September, what? I haven't gotten an October? update in a while, so I have to I, look. I, I haven't either. But I just thought about that. I'm like, ooh, we're gonna we're gonna have to build a table for that pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to reach out to Tim and see if I can get some updates from him. You know, he was supposed to send us a couple sample minis so we could do a painting video. I'll have to remind him about that as well. So, yeah, it'd yeah. be interesting. You know, yeah. I. You, I know this is getting off target as far as news is. News is? Wow, where do I learn English? Um, thank God we don't have an Eng- English guy on the show right now. Um, but um, I was thinking about that. You know, while those are really cool minis and stuff, you're really kind of limited into what you can play, you know. And what I mean is because they're specifically designed for that time period and even more specific to a season, you know. You're talking winter. Yeah, because they're all winter yeah. Uh, figures. Yeah. So, I mean, while that's but, cool is... <sighs> but there were some really good-looking figures. Oh, yeah. No, those are great figures and all that. I, I, my my uh, only observation is how often are you going to be able... And this is going to kind of lead into our main topic today. But, you know, how often can you play that specific of a, a genre miniature battle, you know? So, because Jim has pointed out many, many times... In the past, and and this is gonna be a little different because this is frontier northwest or excuse me northeast combat, you know Indians or American natives, whatever you call them these days, uh, the 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 you know uh, Native Americans, whatever it is, the the tribes, the nations, uh, you're fighting them against Canadians and French and British, you know trappers and explorers, really is what it comes down to. Um, so how often are you gonna do that? So. But yeah, no, I it'll mean, be it'd be it, nice to paint up. It's something different. I, I that's what I I'm really looking forward to. Is it's not your typical modernish or World War II. It it's going back to a time period that you don't have a lot of. So you really get to you know uh, just be, do something different. So I like the variety of that. Well, and I I think that that would be a, a good game for an event like uh, like Little Wars. Uh-huh. Ma- you know, maybe you maybe you don't play it you know once a month, but you know one. Once a year at a at a local convention like that, I bet you know would be uh, something oh, yeah. that uh, would would be well received. Yeah, Little Wars, Historicon, any of those, uh, even Adepticon. Yeah. So it has it has that that, that quality um, that I kind of ran into when I was doing my golf war U.S. Marine stuff. Is yeah, if you take this to a convention or if you have it like on your shelf or no, no matter where you take it, you're going to be the only person there. I mean, it has that benefit. It has that bonus. Yeah. I mean, how many people have a French and Indian War army? Yeah, I mean, not great. too many. Right. Um, so you're going to be the only person there. On the other hand, how often are you going to get to play it? I mean, the Gulf War, for my figures, that thing lasted technically 100, really a little bit longer, but technically 100 hours. 
And you can't use it in Team Yankee because it's all in Desert Colors. You can't use it in War on Terror because um, it's now like at least a decade out of date. Uh, and it does show even in the, in the, in the infantry and the vehicle, certainly. I mean, the Marines weren't still driving around in busted-ass M60s, uh, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, later on in War on Terror. So there's literally nowhere you can use it um, except, uh, you know, a, a war that in real life lasted 100 hours. I mean, it, I spent more time probably building that army than the coalition spent building the army in real life. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in Desert Storm. But, um, you know, it's going to be one of those things that, you know, you have a reason, either you're interested in it or you have a personal connection to it or you have relatives or who knows what, um, that you want to build that force. And, um, yeah, you may not get to play it often, but I'll tell you what, like, yeah, like Marty says, wherever you take it, you're going to be uh, the bell of the ball, so to speak, because, oh, look, another Kabokash table yeah. of, you know, Paratroopers versus German uh, infantry. Oh, what the hell is this? You know, um, Paraguay versus Uruguay in you know the the try the the, uh, the triple alliance war eighteen. You know, well, what the hell is that again? You got people on their phones like looking the, the battle up on Wikipedia. You know, what the hell even is this? Right. And then they learn something. So yeah, these those little nooks and crannies in history are sometimes uh, they're a lot of work, um, but they're fun to explore. Certainly. Yeah, I'm. Lo- I'm looking forward to it on both the, uh, you know, kind of the novelty uh, and the niche of the game, as well as, you know, like I said, it looks like it's got some really cool miniatures. So it'll be uh, be good to see that uh, later this year. Yeah. So what I keep trying to say is, to answer your guys' question, how often can you play it? It's a, if it's a fun game, you can play it as often as you want. There's no good things about it. Well, it's it's not... That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, you know, it's, yes, you can play it as much as you want, but the, somebody help me what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, You're pretty locked into a a limited uh, set of scenarios and a limited time frame with the the game itself, as well as, uh, you know, the figures are made specifically for, for winter ops. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can play the same scenarios or the same environment. You can mix it up a little bit, but there is going to be some limits to whereas if you have generic World War II Germans or Russians or Americans, you there it's just a, a bigger range is what I'm saying. So, you know, it's a very specialized game, and I think it's perfect for conventions or game club weekends or stuff like that. You know what it's really good for, guys? It sounds like it's the perfect game for a war game weekend. Yeah, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yes. So um, I think that would be an excellent game for our gaming weekend. Just throwing it and that, Yeah, and that would give us enough time to actually, you know, get it together and yeah. you know, be ready to ready to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Strip the guys down and uh, put, cam- put camo on them and uh, have them as wind talkers. Somehow, uh, how do we do that? Uh, are, we, are we still talking about the French and Indian War guys? We'd have to cut the muskets yeah. out and put uh, M1 carbines in there? Right. Yeah, it work. It's going <laughs> to say, you know, that century that you got to throw in there might be a challenge, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, a couple centuries. So, all right. Cool. Um, 
Anything else for news? I'm looking real quick to see what else there's popping up on. You know, I tell you what, um, Empress is still producing a whole bunch of uh, Vietnam miniatures, um, doing an amazing job. A lot of Arvin paratroopers um, coming out from them. So, you know, if you guys are really looking for some Vietnam stuff, right now is a good time to uh, pick up some stuff from Empress. Um, so... And then uh, Gray for Now Games, the guys that make uh, Test of Honor, um, have been showing off some renders for, uh, I don't even know how to say it, Takeda Shingen for Wargame Illustrated's Giants and Miniatures range, which are specific miniatures of famous people. A beautiful sculpt. Just a beautiful sculpt. So if you're into your feudal Japan, um, you definitely want to get that when it comes out from, um, from those guys. And then there's some Baron's War. So if you're looking for the Baron's War, um, Thomas, Count of Perche. Um, so, you know, if you're into that um, medieval type stuff, um, you know, that's, that's something... roughly uh, that's roughly Robin Hood's time period. OK, that's the time, that's the time period from which the legends of I mean, who knows if Robin Hood was ever a real person. But just for people who might not know in the audience, the yeah, Baron's War is the reign of King John the first and whether or not uh, England was still going to remain a pure autocracy or whether there was going to be some kind of power sharing um, between the monarch and uh, I wouldn't exactly call it democracy, but at least between, you know, that's what they call it. The barons war, you know, land owning barons. Yeah. And um, according to depends on what version of the lesson you're listening to um, either Robin hood or, you know, his father may have been one of those landowning barons who got in trouble and hence the story begins. Um, but it's roughly that time period, uh, late 1100s, early 1200s, I believe. Nice. So if that's your thing, and then I wanted to point out the Perry brothers are at it again. So, Jim, I'm going to throw this one at you, and I think you'll be impressed by this one. They have posted pictures of a new game with miniatures that they've created or painted up for the Arcerios Gamble, a game based on the encounter during the War of the Triple Alliance. Oh, there we go. So isn't that in South America, right? This was the... Yeah, I think we, we may yeah, have you've, covered you've mentioned this, this a few times. Yeah, we've uh, talked about that in the past a little bit. Yeah. Uh, War of Triple Alliance. Oh, God, you're going to test me now. Um, between three countries, it's, I think Paraguay started it. Um, they wound up fighting uh, between uh, some other countries. I think three other countries uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, Paraguay more or less attacked and invaded or at least started a war with three other countries simultaneously um, and was actually doing pretty well, but wound up, you know, of course, losing the war like we see, you know, with all kinds of countries, you know, France and the Napoleonics, Germany and World War One and Two. Um, they, you know, they probably bet off more than they can chew. They do really well for a while, and at the end, they suffer uh, pretty shattering defeats. Um, it's interesting because and this is kind of what we talked about earlier in, in previous episodes. It's just, it's one of those wars that uh, I don't know why it doesn't get more. Well, I guess I, I guess I do know why uh, it doesn't get more attention in the wargaming community. It's mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's the Napoleonics and it's the American civil war of South America. 
um, we don't see a lot of combat that takes place in South America. Well, who, you know, well, who's the last person that you know that built an army that you use strictly in South America? We've got armies used in Europe, armies used in Asia. Uh, if you get into American Civil War, American Revolution, you get wars that take place in North America. Not many people build armies for you know combat takes place in you know, South America. It's, and there are wars down there. Simon Bolivar is, you know, is the, in, like the Napoleon of South America, the Washington, the George Washington of South America. He, you know, liberated, I don't remember how many countries from the Spanish Empire. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the greatest, you know, military leaders that's ever been. And yet, whenever you, you know, talk to people in the internet or whatever, you say, give me your top 10 military commanders. You get Caesar, you get Napoleon, you get Hannibal, you get, you, you ever see guys like Simon Bolivar. Um, it's, it's, I, I don't know what it is. It's just South America doesn't get any spotlight on it. And, yeah. and there's a lot of people down there. And where you have a lot of people, you have a lot of fighting. And the Triple Alliance War was a big one. And I can't remember but the exact numbers, but it was absurd the amount of losses that uh, Paraguay wound up taking. Something like 50% of every male in the country. Uh, it's, I'm actually not exaggerating that. I may be a little bit off just by not knowing the, the details, but it was, you know, it, it was worse than, uh, percentage-wise, it was worse than any country took in World War II. It was an absurd number of people. Yeah. Um, got killed in that war, especially on, on Paraguay. But then they did take on like half the continent, uh, and then they lost. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really nasty war. Um, probably the biggest war that's ever taken place on that continent. And yet not only do you normally not see about it, do you not, you know, see it or read about it in, in a lot of history, but, uh, until this prairie release came along, you almost never saw it, uh, even mentioned, let alone supported, uh, with any wargaming product. So absolutely. I mean, anything that kind of shines a spotlight into an area that doesn't normally get a lot of focus. Yeah. Yeah, this could be another uh, another good uh, convention gaming weekend kind of game. Well, anything the Perrys do. I mean, if you're looking for mainstream to the more obscure stuff, Perrys uh, are the guys to go to, uh, in my opinion. So, um, you know, they they have a little bit of everything. So, you know, if you're really looking for something, they have they pretty much are going to have it. So, um, and they make fantastic miniatures. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe wargaming isn't a big thing in South America. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Um, you know, it's bigger in some parts of the world than others. I have a feeling that if wargaming was a bigger deal in South America, this would be one of the wars that you would see come up all the time because it's very big in the history down there. And, um, yeah, it's it's great that uh, the Perrys are looking into it. Jeff, yeah. did you do wargame uh, some South America stuff last week or last couple of weeks? I mean, yeah, if you do Narcos, stuff like that, like, you know, uh, modern day Columbia, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, in fact, we might be doing some tomorrow. Um, spoilers. No, I'm talking um, the uh, Falkland Islands, that's technically. Yeah, this is also very true. This is very, very true. Um, this, yeah, actually, I stand corrected. We, we totally did South American War Gaming. Uh, literally, we did a whole Op Center series on that. Um yeah, I think we do that uh, to support. I think the Falklands Islands War is a lot more famous and 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 uh, what's the word uh, regarded, uh, looked back upon uh, among uh, our friends in the UK than it is in Argentina. I mean, our, for, as far as the Argentinians go, that war is not over. They still they have never ever relinquished their claim on the Falkland Islands. Um, they're obviously not going to do anything about it right now. 
Um, but they haven't forgotten. Um, but for the British, on the other hand, yeah, I mean, anytime you mention the Falklands, you go over to a site like uh, uh, On Tabletop or Beasts of War, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the Falklands immediately starts getting hits. Because um, that's mostly a, a UK community, not entirely, obviously, but mostly a UK community, and they are. Yeah, you mentioned the Falklands, and everyone's ears come up. They, they definitely, you know, even people who aren't into historical conflict or modern conflicts, you know, even the fantasy 40k Star Wars crowd or whatever, they know about the Falklands. They know about Harriers. You know, they know about you know uh, stuff that went on down there. And um, yeah, the interest level goes up for sure. Yeah, awesome. All right, so last but not least, uh, Knuckle Duster Miniatures, one of my favorite little uh, shops. Uh, Our buddy Forrest has put out um, an announcement of a Texas Rangers faction, which I'm all about. Uh, If you like (laughs) your Western stuff, you know, he does some amazing stuff. Um, so he's, he posted it up. He says he's on vacation right now, and they're available through retailers, but not on his website, but they will be when he comes back uh, from vacation. I have a personal special place in my heart for Texas Rangers because uh, one of the things I thought would be the pinnacle of my career was to become a Texas Ranger. I always, in my law enforcement career, uh, before life got in the way, I really, really wanted to be a Texas Ranger. I thought, you know, if it wasn't a U.S. Marshal doing fugitive task force, I wanted to be a Texas Ranger. I thought those guys were the bomb, if you will, in law enforcement. Um, you know, you, you listen to the stories of the old days where you'd have a lawless town and the local marshal or sheriff couldn't clean it up. They sent in one. You heard me, one ranger, and that ranger would clean up the town. So, um, you know, I just you, you uh, go ahead. You was alone? Yeah. Then he would be the? Lone Ranger. Huh? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but a You're welcome. Sure, you've been wearing a mask. <laughs> Got to serve it up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's transition into some heavy-duty topics. The first one I want to talk about, it's it's a news item, but it's going to turn into a conversation. And we've kind of had this conversation in the past on several aspects. I received this morning an announcement from one of my Wargaming Facebook pages that there is a pre-order up for a game called Troubles, or The Troubles. Uh, it is a game based upon what m- my friends, brothers, sisters, my s- other family in Northern Ireland know as The Troubles. And there's now a war game based upon the Troubles. And holy crap, has the page blown up. Because you have people who are like, why in the hell would you ever do a game about the uh, Troubles, the, the uh, conflicts in Northern Ireland, um, you know, that we, if you're old enough, you will remember from the 80s and 70s, um, you know, um, you know, when you had the British paratroopers and other British element over in Northern Ireland to quell, you know, whatever you want to call it, freedom fighting, terrorism, depending on which side of the fence you stand on, they have a game about it. Then you have other people saying, I would play the game. Where do you draw the line as to what you can do a game about and what you can't do a game about? You know, if you're saying I can't do a game about the troubles, but I can do one about 
Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam or whatever the case may be, where's the line drawn? So I thought that was a very interesting point of view from some people. Now, again, this hits kind of close to home for me because I do have a lot of dear and close friends over in Northern Ireland and, you know, Jim knows them as well. And we've had conversations when we're over there about, you know, uh, was it you don't wear orange on certain days and, um, you know, whether you fly the Union Jack or don't fly it and, you know, you have 12th night and all that stuff. Um, boy, did it, re- I, I mean, I even, Jim is very familiar with touchy subjects when you were doing your gaming series, was it Chechnya um, or the Ukraine? I can't remember which which region. I, I literally have, have, have built my, I've built my gaming bones on touchy subjects. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll wait for you to finish com, com, uh, completing or presenting the, the, the question or the problem, the, the discussion topic. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, tread into those kind of waters before. It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know other people are going to feel differently. Other people have been sure to let me know that they uh, feel differently. Congratulations. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of this stuff is um, blown out of proportion and uh, legends in their own mind, so to speak. I mean, why is it? That uh, I mean, just to take this example, why is it the troubles in Ireland are a touchy subject? Oh no, please don't, 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 don't mention an Irish car bomb. Oh no, but it's okay to do La Violencia in Colombia. Yeah, and I'm sorry, La Violencia in Colombia, order of magnitude, more people um, have lost their lives in that. You know, why? Why do? Why are some? How about this counter question? Why do we have to? Why do some people expect us to treat certain conflict with kid gloves? Yeah. The hell with that. You know, no, you're not special. You're not a special part of the world. You're not a special people. You know, yeah, you went through some tough times. So do we. I mean, more people probably are killed in gang warfare in Chicago in a given year than were lost in any war in any year of, of the troubles. Uh, not to mention L.A., not to mention New York, not to mention Medellin, not to mention Bogota, not to mention um, Syria, not to mention Aleppo, not to mention Tehran, not to mention, not to mention, not to mention, not to mention. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why certain conflicts stir up this bit, this this little bit of firestorm. Oh, you can't talk about that. That's our thing. And piss off. <laughs> well, tell us how you really feel, Jim. Yeah, it gets it gets. <laughs> Uh, it does. It does. Well, we see where the controversy now comes from. <laughs> <laughs> but, so no. here I'm going to take Go the poison. I'm going to take the opposite side. You know, think about who you're playing games against, right? Okay. If, you know, if you've got friends that are actually from Afghanistan, you're not necessarily going to play that era. You're not. If you've got why? friends that are, why? Well, okay. If, I, I totally agree with uh, what I Chris do. is saying. Yeah, I totally agree with what Chris is saying. If if it's a specific thing, like um, I'm going to run, uh, you know, a game this weekend, uh, whatever, with with one of my community members. This guy actually was a. Um, this actually kind of happened relatively recently. Uh, some of the people that we've been gaming with recently are not terribly comfortable with modern conflict because they are like us. 
actual veterans right. and they've been to these places and they've been, so we do something else. We do, you know, world war two or we do American mm-hmm. revolution or we do something else. Right. Um, that's a specific person. Or if you go to a certain venue, but to think, but, but to say that a game shouldn't be like either released or it shouldn't, uh, or if you put it up on the, on the internet, it's going to you know catch all kinds of flack in the comment section or whatever on the Facebook page or whatever social platform we're talking about. Um, like, you know, this shouldn't be tackled in general. Like I, I, maybe I'm misquoting, but I, I'm, I'm remembering a uh, bill, what you were just saying. Some of the comments in this, in this, uh, in this troubles, uh, website was, you know, why are you making a game about this? Right. And, well, maybe I won't bring this game to your house or your club, but I get to make a game about what I want. It happened. We do historical wargaming, and um, this is the thing. It's not some kind of sacrosanct topic. No, I, I, I agree. And everyone's allowed to post their opinion. We just historically have known that a lot of the people who listen to our podcast or a lot of people that play the games, you know, you go back to Beast of War and on tabletop, that was from that area. And that's still fresh enough to where it is a, uh, you know, it's a wound that, that hasn't completely healed yet. Right. I don't no, know no. about all that. You know, here's the thing. I, I agree that for some people, and uh, Jim and I know somebody, you know, who will only play like World War Two. He won't play anything more modern, and we know who that is. And we, well, there's respect. there's a lot of people. Like yeah, that. yeah, but you know, but the the point that I feel that I'm trying to make is, it's almost censorship when somebody's saying you can't make a game about yes. that. Everyone gets to have an opinion until it's an opinion you disagree with. Then how dare you make a game about this? Right. Come on. So, yeah, come on. so I, would I, I ever I, play this game in uh, Northern Ireland with my friends? Hell no. You know, not unless they are the ones who initiated it. Would I even discuss it? with? I would have a conversation with them to get their feelings and their thoughts. But would I say, hey, we're going to play this? Hell no. Um, I wouldn't feel, uh, I mean, almost never mind, uh, any kind of moral implication. I wouldn't feel, um, like I knew enough, uh, from a tactical perspective. I wouldn't know enough from, you know, the actual knowledge on the ground. Right. I would have to read 20 books before I was even close to knowing what these people know about the conflict already. Right. Um, yeah, but there are other conflicts like that. Yeah. And other people, you know, I mean, I guess I, I mean, would I play, uh, the, American Indian Wars, you know, uh, with friends of mine who are in the Cherokee Nation or the Sioux Nation. No, you know, not unless they wanted to play Little Bighorn again. Um, I was going to say, they, they won a lot of battles in yeah, those wars. They, they, might, they won a lot know. of battles. They didn't win the war, but they won battles. Um, you know, what it comes down to is I understand <laughs> that there are some things that people don't want to play, and I fully respect that, but don't censor things. Because when you right. censor things, we lose the objectivity, we lose the historical background. We, you know, you can't whitewash life. And everybody seems these days to want to, and I hate to, I'm not trying to do political, but we can't be whitewashing things. We need to learn about the conflicts. We need to learn about the politics behind the conflict because it does affect the, the conflict in the game itself. Maybe some games less than others. Um, I thought Avalon Hill did a wonderful job on some of their games about the politics and the way behind it, you know, supplies and, you know, some of those bigger games that they used to do. 
And some of the more modern games do that as well. But a lot of them, you know, miniature-based games these days is just skirmish. You're just doing this. This is your objective, you know. But um, Yeah, a skirmish game is so low to the ground that uh, yeah. the larger context of the battle hardly ever comes into it. Yeah. You almost have to get up to at least that... Uh, at least that um, that that operational, if not strategic, level stuff. Like yeah. uh, you were saying, Avalon Hill GMT does a lot of stuff like that nowadays. Yeah, um, Twilight Struggle is probably the most famous one. Um, basically, the game takes forty years. You know, you play the entire Cold War, nineteen forty-five to the late eighties, cool. and you see how it shakes out on your table. <laughs> um, yeah, like one side plays not just the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union and all their allies. Yeah. It's one half of the world. You get this half of the world. You know, let's dance. Um, and yeah, if you don't take politics or, or regional conflicts, you know, come up in that, I mean, it's literally the whole point of the game. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree with you, uh, both about, you, you can't censor that. We just have to be, um, respectful, respectful. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't, if we were down in, um, uh, born this era you know, you're not like, Hey, let's play the Falcons war. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. But I almost. I, I, I almost guarantee all, I, I you there's probably people down in Argentina that would would play it because they want to win, you know. A, again, you have we've to. Had, we've had Argentinians comment on our our up center. Yeah, and like, you know, um, I I think also because oh, I tried to present it where it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just oh the the, the Argentine. A lot of it just comes down to language. Yeah. The Argentinians invaded the Falklands. Down come the British to liberate the Falklands. Now, if you start talking like that, Argentinians are going to, you know, raise their hand or check out or just not watch your show or leave a nasty comment. You know, it's if you handle it a little bit more um, objectively and leave out, you know, the flowery patriotic language, you know, and make sure that, okay, if you present one side, yeah, just make sure that you also present the other side. And that's, by the way, going to make you tons of enemies. Yeah, Russia versus Ukraine. I have been, I've been having missiles thrown at me on that since 2015 because um, I walked down the middle of the road. And when you're walking down the middle of the road, you're going to get hit by both sides. Both sides both are going side to yeah. look at you and see you closer to their enemies than they are to them. And yeah, they're going to consider you a, yeah, I've gotten all kinds of hate from both sides uh, on that one. Russians and especially Ukrainians. Uh, Ukrainians definitely take exception to some of the stuff. And you know what? It's their right to do so. And, um, it's my right to put it up. I mean, right. you know, everyone has the right to an opinion. And you know what? That includes me. And that exactly. includes other warriors. So if you don't like it, I'm sorry we lost you as, as a subscriber, but deal with it. Yeah. You know? So, well, Jim, and, what you're saying the, is you are the UN peacekeeper of wargaming. You're right I down the, the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy in the blue helmet who always gets made fun of and always gets shot at by both sides. Um, I mean, it's it's just if if you're gonna get into like seriously into uh, number one historical wargaming, but it, just history in general, you you have to have objectivity. Yeah. You have to take off your your patriot hat and leave it at the door. You can't mm -hmm. walk into you can't talk about the Solomons as a U.S. Uh, former Marine and you know talk about First Marine Division on Guadalcanal. You know, also you know what the Japanese were there too. The Japanese went through insane amounts of starvation, privation, suffering, disease overpowering fire, you know, you have to respect both, you know, talk about Iwo Jima. We did the op center special on Iwo Jima, you know, yeah, it's tough to remain objective as an American, as a, you know, I certainly was not at Iwo Jima. I'm not that old. Thank you very much. But you know, as a, it's, it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to be objective, but I think it's important to remain 
objective or simple to both sides. And that's how you sort of avoid some of the stuff that we might see with this troubles game. I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't, I haven't read it. I haven't obviously haven't played it, but if it's handled badly, if it's handled with a lot of jingoism, if it's handled with a lot of nationalism on just one side or the other, if the IRA are looked at as straight out terrorists or straight out freedom fighters, or, you know, and not some kind of nuance in in there, if the uh, British are looked at as peacekeepers and not occupiers um, or vice versa, you know, it it can't be the black and white. It's going to have to have this, 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 Sort of a because the real situation yeah. is of course very murky, and you have to make sure that you uh, include that murk um, either in any kind of writing, uh, whether you're making a movie, writing a song. Well, songs are going to be mostly poetry. You're going to have a stand there, but if you're going to provide that as a game and not expect, um, well, you're going to get a lot of hate on the guy kind of a game. That's just to be expected. Um, but yeah, if you're not going to get any kind of respect if you don't handle it with uh, uh, respectful objectivity. So, yes, I understand that people want to – I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off, but super fast. I understand you want to have – that everybody wants to treat this stuff as respect. Just what that means sometimes means different things to different people. Like if if you're not on their side, they think you're being disrespectful. There's a lot of that out there. So I handle things when I try to do more recent conflicts, either in writing, videos, gaming design or whatever respectfully and then i get hate mail saying i'm not being respectful because i'm not handling things from their perspective so that would be my only addition on that sorry well you know and and i think that especially you know historical war gaming one of the things it does is it it keeps the history alive you know hey this is a thing it happened right wrong or indifferent good or bad it, it it is history it has occurred uh the other thing that it does is uh, it encourages us to, to educate ourselves about that particular conflict, battle, campaign, whatever it is, you know, right. because, I, I mean, I, I learned more uh, about uh, about this stuff when I am uh, uh, playing games and I'm like looking at scenarios. And I'm like, oh, I did. This is a battle that I, I wasn't aware of. It, this would be a pretty cool scenario. And, and then I look at it more and you know get into the, the details a little bit. It's like, okay, could, could we actually game this out? You know, uh, un- understandably, sometimes uh, that can be uh, a sensitive topic for folks. And you know, if that's a sensitive topic for someone, uh, that's not the game to play with them. Maybe, but it doesn't mean the game shouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Your, your particular audience, you have to. Yeah, this 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 is where I totally agree with Chris. Um, your your particular example, your particular audience, um, you have to be you know really careful with that. Um, but whether or not the game should be published or not is a different a, a different topic. And uh, it, as far as the reasons people give why they believe certain topics shouldn't be covered, when you actually engage with them in in a discussion either live or online and you start to pin them down on or or start to i don't want to say pin them down or box them in but when you start to clarify their reasons why they feel x topics should not be covered it's blatant personal bias it's blatant self-importance it's well this is something i lived through well first of all you didn't live through it okay it had you know it's 
Twelve people. Twelve people were murdered in Fort Lauderdale yesterday. I I didn't. I didn't live through any of that. That doesn't mean that um, you know it, it's a horrible thing. You shouldn't talk about Fort Lauderdale or whatever town you live in or whatever crime or unrest is going on in your town. Um, now there are exceptions. There are people who have served in a given conflict. They had a rifle on their shoulder. This happened, and they had to carry somebody home that walked in. They didn't walk out. Okay, that's different, but that's like 1% of 1% of these cases. Uh, the people that we keep talking about um, that we know, and again, it's more than one, who say, you know, hey, guys, you know, um, I'm fans of your of your website. I'm, I'm a subscriber. I don't really do modern gaming because I don't feel as comfortable for myself because I was here. I was there. I know somebody who was there who didn't come back. You know, they're not the ones. I've never had a, an issue from any of these people who, you know, where they said, you know, you really shouldn't be covering this or this game shouldn't be published or anything like that. They're the last people to say that. The people that say that are typically, from my experience, ones who weren't involved in the conflict. They happened to live maybe in the country where some of the conflict might have taken place 20 years before they were born and somehow they're still bearing some kind of psychic wound or like, come on, man, you know, it's, it, it gets, it gets a little thin when you actually start to, you know, you know, work on them. Well, you know, why aren't we playing in Afghanistan? Well, my brother's brother's kid, uh, nephew or whatever, um, was, you know, landing in Manhattan on September 11th, 2001. So I, therefore you should not make a game about Afghanistan. I mean, so when you actually start to figure it out and engage with these people and actually ask them why they feel a certain game shouldn't be covered, you, you come up with a lot of this. Um, and again, if someone actually lives there and lives there, like somebody, you know, hi, I'm a Syrian refugee. I just made it out of Aleppo with, you know, by the skin of my teeth. I lost two family members trying to get my family out of Aleppo. Um, yeah, the Syrian war is a little tough for me to deal with. Okay, that, yeah, obviously, you know, totally different. Yeah. Um, you know, I served in Afghanistan. Uh, I had a brother not come back. I was in Iraq. I was in, you know, absolutely. Um, the number of people, like I, I live and work in South Florida. Tomorrow we're doing a game set in Columbia. The number of people I've worked with where that's how they got to be Americans. They said, you know what, or their parents said, or their grandparents said, you know what, the violencia is just too much. Uh, we, we can't live here anymore. They bailed out of Colombia. They became, they, made, they emigrated to the United States. They became citizens. And now they live and work here in South Florida. I mean, I've known multiple people at multiple jobs. Would I bring up a Narcos game to them to play with? Well, they don't play war games, but no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't even ask them about the Narcos TV show, you know, because, okay, they literally had to flee their country. Nobody, you know, I don't know. Those are the people that tend not to complain um, about this so, stuff. That's from my perspective, or yeah, in, my, now, in my experience. One of the one of the one of the differences, though, Jim, with what you're saying about you know Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that, and with the troubles is the troubles wasn't in a distant country; it was amongst themselves. Right. And it's the well, Iraq and Afghanistan was totally in somebody's country. Well, Why is Ireland more important it, than Iraq it, or Afghanistan? Well, you know, if my you know, if my nephew's kid went off to Afghanistan and didn't come back, that's different than hey, my whole family was in this neighborhood that was going through bombings. Okay. That I I'm I agree with you. It should not be it should not be black, but it should still be treated with a 
um, you know, a bit of respect for, for those people. And, and, and I know you're saying that as well. Um, but it's not, it's not a distant thing. It's, you know, when we're talking about the Solomons, you know, the Solomons were done halfway across the country, even though we lost a lot of people, the Japanese lost a lot of people there. It was still being played elsewhere. You know, if we were playing the game about, you know, a flight game and you're like, okay, Hey, you know, your the objective is for you to fly these planes into these buildings. Yeah. Well, you know, we might not want to be doing that one. Right. Yeah. So I would only, I would only offer that. Yeah. The Solomons. Yeah. Totally point taken. I, I was talking about, we were covering a certain topic and that was, you know, near and dear to me on some kind of emotional level, you saw the main objective. But yeah. as far as Afghanistan, Iraq and Ireland, yeah, we're really comparing apples and oranges there. I mean, the amount of violence that takes place in Medellin or Bogota compared to whatever happened in Belfast, order of magnitude, if not two. I mean, yeah. not even close. I'm so sorry. There's more violence in South Central LA on a given friggin' Tuesday than there ever was in, in, in Northern Ireland. I'm I'm sorry. Numbers don't lie. Uh, yeah. I know I'm pissing a lot of people off right now, but I know some yeah. of the stuff we can't cover. We can't. Oh, it ha it, it happened amongst us. It happened to among people in Afghanistan. I mean, uh, in Af Afghanistan civilians are less. I, I know you didn't. I know you didn't mean this, but we fall into the we as a as a group as a as a society almost start to fall into a trap where you know it happened amongst people in Syria. I mean, I'm sure people in Aleppo feel pretty strongly about how this conflict took place, but we're okay the game in Syria or Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, no, you're not okay the game there. You know, stop agreeing with me, Ariskany, dumbass. Um, and and but, that's, not, that's not what I meant where it was no, around totally. or it wasn't around people. I'm saying, okay, if we're talking about... Um, you know, baseball in a, in a town that has two different teams, most of us don't care about baseball and, you know, one team over another. But if you're in Chicago, you like one team over the other. And and that is like your whole your whole family is like that. That's a, or, or it's a house. Oh, yeah, certainly. Right. But what, what, on the other side of the country, well, you know, who cares? Because it doesn't really affect you. When I'm talking about with the, the troubles, you've got, you know, this was going on – and it's, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the crime that's going on in Chicago and the crime that's going on in Fort Lauderdale. That was crime. That was not being, that's not being pushed upon those people by an outside government, right? That it's not the same thing as war gaming, crime. And Since war it's an gaming. outside government. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, so, we're literally yeah. about, we're really, we're really about to start the troubles here. But I mean, we're, uh, we're almost, we're almost taking sides right there. Uh, I mean, okay. Uh, so one one thing I, I know that we were we tried to be objective on and and I cannot be objective on is when we played thirteen hours. Right. I, I don't think I don't think there's a other side that we can look at and try to understand. There there is no other side to that. It was wrong. Um completely. Oh, somebody's got a helicopter in the background. Yeah, that's me. Uh but uh, you know, I, to to make the counterpoint to that, uh, there's some Libyans that probably would tell you to go screw yourself. What what are you doing in my country at all? Who the hell who the hell are you? You're trying to affect regime change. Yeah. Well, oh. there we were just. I'm saying, should we have waited to get our ambassador out or not? 
Well, I mean, so the whole point of this was, do you censor or do you not censor? Right? So, you know, regardless of where you stand. That answer is simple. However, with a huge asterisk underneath it, and this is, I mean, again, to keep underlining Chris's point, you do have to be cognizant and and aware of your particular audience. Asterisk, asterisk. You know, exception to the exception is, hey, particular audience, you don't speak for all of us. Yeah. So calm down. So, and, and for me, I don't think 13 hours was us against the Libyans. <laughs> I, I think the wrong party was. Well, well we're not getting okay. into the politics. All right. <laughs> so the, the whole point of this conversation is, you know, is there a line that you don't cross in in war gaming or, you know, obviously it's going to be very sensitive in one region of the world versus other regions, you know, to Chris's point, like the Solomon islands, the conflicts in the Solomon islands to us here in the United States. Now it's 50, 60, 70 years in the past. It doesn't, you know, really sting. However, there were people living in the Solomon islands. So, you know, it may be sensitive to them having to live through the Japanese occupation and things like that. So, and it, the other point is like the Falkland Islands. The Argentinians are probably a little bit more sensitive to that than uh, the British are or other parts of the world. Um, it also depends on how you present the game. And to Jim's point, if you come in as the great liberator, you know, on one side and your game is skewed that way, yeah, you're going to catch a lot of crap about it. If you present it from a, a neutral point of saying this is this viewpoint, this is this viewpoint, this is the historical context without putting in all the, you know, the rah-rah flag-waving of one country or whatever over the other, then they're, you know, part of being a historian is diving into the difficult topics to find out why and how to prevent it and what could have been different, right? that That's truly what history historians do. Is yep. to- and you can't understand history without seeing both sides. Right. Oh, I feel this is why World War Two. I feel this is why World War Two is such a such a popular topic in wargaming. Um, it's it's. I mean, it's, as horrible as World War Two was, it's one of the worst events in all of human history. Um, it's kind of tough to uh, you know be. A, you don't really have to be that objective in World War Two. No. It's, it's tough to find people who are who will defend the Third Reich. Right. So it's a little bit more safe. However, once you get into modern topics, which is what most SIDREP mostly does. Yeah. We accepted this mandate when we picked up, you know, when we started the project. And um, at least for me, I always realized, yep, we're going to catch flack yeah. now and then because some people are are going to be. And it's fun to engage with those people. I mean, I, as long as they can be at least a little bit respective. We had some uh, – we did that when, when Ukraine was really getting ready to pop off again uh, earlier this year. I ran a Ukraine game, and I had a guy from Ukraine – uh, like really come at me hard in the YouTube comments. And um, at first I was really pissed off because the guy was not very polite at all. Um, but then I'm like, you know what? This is an ongoing war and he lives in that country. And if he tries to take the middle road when he, when his country is actively at war with this other country, yeah. he's literally being unpatriotic. And part of my issue and problem with that whole war is how unpatriotic the Ukraine is being. The reason they're in so much trouble is they're being very lax today, they're going very lazy, corrupt. Oh my God, dude. Uh, Al Capone would blush at how corrupt uh, that that 
parts of that government are. The new president's doing his best, but he's getting blocked in a, in a lot of places. Um, so I'm, I, I can't go after this guy. I can't counter this president, guy. Right? Not ours. Yeah, their new president is is actually trying to clean up a lot of the. Uh, I actually had the numbers, but I, I lost them in my notes. Um, but the long story short is, take your first shot. Mm. Um, part of my beef about what's going on in the Ukraine is how, you know, not into it. Ukraine is basically, you know, being they're 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 going to if we if we follow too far down that road, they're going to be our next South Vietnam. Um, I say that with full friggin' awareness. Um, as far as trying to uh, defend a corrupt, weak, badly organized regime that's hated by some of the people in that country against, you know, members of its own country that are revolting against it. And, yeah, they have outside help. Um, if we get sucked too deep into that. And but then again, when one of those people stands up for their country and gets very patriotic in the comments, even if he's yelling at me. You know what? He he's one of the uh, exceptions. He's one of the people like we I mentioned before. He's one of the people that get to be upset. Um, you know, I respect his right to be upset. But when it comes to most people who squawk and cry and whinge and whine and cry and bitch and moan about you can't do this conflict because because why? Tell me why. Seriously, who did you lose? Where do you live? What branch did you serve in? Oh, I thought so. Sit down. Um is where, again, 90% of that uh, winds up. However, footnote, asterisk, exclamation point, there are those 10%. People who, uh, you know, when they do have an issue, I totally respect that. And it also seems to be, at least in my experience, the people who legit have a reason to have that issue are very, very respectful. You almost never hear from them at all. They might not watch that particular video. They might not buy that certain game. Um, but they don't come at you with a whole bunch of social justice and, you know, they, they, they just don't, at least not to me. Uh, it's been my experience. Now, one of the things with, um, with most of these games, um, or most of these conflicts, I should say, is the arbitrary lines that you see drawn on the globe. I mean, if you look at the Eastern part of Ukraine, those people, Overwhelmingly, believe that they're more they're better represented by Russia than they are by the Ukrainian government. Yeah, that goes all the way back to Catherine the Great. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, just drawing the line doesn't mean that hey, everybody on this side you're you're this, or everybody on that side you're that. This is a huge topic that we should probably save for another episode. Maybe yeah. our next topic, you know, when drawing the map creates the next war. Holy hell, the Treaty of Versailles. Holy, I mean, 90% of what's happened in Africa, probably the most war-torn continent in the world since 1945, you can trace right back to a salon in France somewhere or Britain or Germany or Portugal where some a bunch of white, old white men, not to get too political, we're sitting there drawing lines on a map. And um, it's like, no, you're, you're literally, okay, when you're in one of those like treaty negotiations, like you uh, versus Portugal versus Germany versus France versus Spain versus Britain, you're arguing with each other about things that you care about. You're not paying attention to who lives in these areas. And 
okay, you've got, you know, ethnic group A, ethnic group B, tribe C, you know, ethnic group D, and they live in these different areas of the country. And then you draw the lines of your colonies, your European colonies, irrespective of where these people live. You're dividing up these countries and you're dividing up these ethnic groups. Along comes World War II. World War II destroys the idea of empire, especially European empire. It implodes, and everyone pretty much just sets up these new independent countries on these old colonial lines. And then we wonder why all these all these countries are in constant states of civil war. Because they were, you know, Yugoslavia, Iraq, anybody who's ever had to serve in Iraq has suffered because of this problem. Iraq's a fake country. It was created in friggin' Sp- in, uh, in uh, France somewhere. I can't remember exactly. When they were, you know, the Ottoman Empire fell and they whacked it up between the different, you know, European victorious powers. Um, that's why we have different ethnic groups. If those borders were allowed to form on their own in a more organic and natural way, along mountains, river lines, where different, this group of people lives, that group of people lives, you wouldn't have Kurds, Shiites, and Sunnis all living in the same country and they all hate each other. They would live in their own countries and once in a while you might have a border war between the two, but you wouldn't have this constant state of perpetual or at least borderline civil war in all these countries. And it's because people were very careless when they when they drew these borders. Now I, I, I disagree with you because you're gonna get these tribes. A lot of, some of these tribes they're just warring tribes. They they don't like the other people and yeah, they would be in two different countries. Okay, but they would still be warring. Yeah, They're and it would be wars between countries, which yeah. happen a lot less frequently than civil wars, especially in the modern era. Yeah, well, okay, so being you know being in Iraq and being civil affairs, we're like, hey, you know, we've got a pump, we've got a water well right here, so that should you know produce enough water for all the people in an area up to let's say five miles away. Well, you know that right there is on a, a, a canal or a river, and it cannot serve the people on the other side just because they're a different tribe. And because they're a different tribe, they're taking their life in their hands if they go over to that well. So yeah. um, you get down to that level or, hey, you know, the property on that side is, you know, better for growing. You know, it's got, you know, more the um, the silt from the river, you know, and, and it grows better over there. You know, we we want that. And or, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather had that property over there. So that's historically mine. You know, I'm going to take that back. You're even even at that level, you're always going to have issues. People are always going to want what the other person has. Or I, I, I agree with that. But and again, we're talking about water and irrigation. Water and irrigation has long been an issue between, say, Israel and Syria. <laughs> they've had they've had three wars over the last 50 years. They haven't had 20 because Israel and Syria are two different countries. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not saying you would eliminate warfare, but you would, I, I think you would cook down the number and not only the number, but international wars tend to last, you know, a certain amount of time. Civil wars drag on for generations. And I feel that um, if a country, I mean, when was the last time Iraq was its own? Well, number one, I'm just about to contradict myself, but just to keep going with the Iraq example, when was the last time Iraq was its own country? Like Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, seriously. Before, after that, it was the Persians. After that, it was the Babylonians. After that, it was the Ro- well, never, uh, briefly the Romans, Parthians. 
you know, the Ottoman Empire. I mean, Iraq is one of those countries that's always been conquered by somebody. And um, all these people have been forced to kind of, you know, live together within a certain amount of borders um, that I think normally they would not or think that if things have been left to their own devices, they may not wind up living in such close proximity that you're that you're discussing. Um, I'm not saying that there's an easy fix nowadays. Oh, let them just sort it out. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, things like Eastern Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, Catherine the Great wanted some of that land. So she picked up, you know, 20 million Russian families and she moved them there um, and said, here, you live here now. I mean, nobody wanted them there. The people who got moved there didn't want to live there. But that was her way of changing the demographic in certain parts of her empire. Stalin did the same thing during the uh, the five-year plans of the late 20s and early 30s. It's artificial. It's, it's external. And when external and artificial forces try to uh, influence the way countries develop, you run into these problems. Well, and then Ukraine just breaks off and becomes its own country. And now you've got all these, like you're mentioning, all these ethnic Russians living in the eastern part of Ukraine. And then, I can't remember his name, 2014, um, the, the, the newly elected president, who wasn't very legitimately elected, um, I'm talking about the president of Ukraine now, okay, uh, pops up and says, oh, thank you, here's my acceptance speech. Oh, by the way, we're, as, we're asking for membership in the EU, which is basically, can we please join NATO? And you're talking about people who, you know, you talk about, oh, you, you can't game this because people have histories and people have memories. Yeah. You just invited the German army into the eastern Ukraine. They remember what German tanks look like with black crosses. Somehow that never gets mentioned by, you know, uh, you know, people who like to you know, complain about this stuff. And then they wonder why, you know, a big slice of the Ukraine says, uh, no, thank you very much. Yeah, we, we have this war. Oh, sorry. Yep. All right, guys. Well, um, that went way, way thanks, longer than I thought it was going to. Thanks for rolling to. that hand grenade down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't think we're going to have time for our other topic. Uh, we'll have to save that for the next show. But, um, yeah. Did I break the podcast again? I apologize. Uh, we kind of... Uh, <laughs> I don't think we. We broke didn't it. even get to talk about the Duran line between uh, Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan yet. Oh Lord! The federally Let, I, administrated tribal hold area. Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! <laughs> hold everything! Don't make me bring out Gunny and tell you to shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> you don't have a hair on your ass. <laughs> All right, bring so, it, big boy. <laughs> so, guys. Uh, we're apologize that we went really, really dark and serious on this one. That wasn't the intent. It was just, you know, can we say that there's something that we can't create a game about or, you know, and I think we're all at the consensus that we don't censor. Um, but if you are going to create a game based on a touchy subject, war, combat, genre, whatever, to do it respectfully and trying to be as neutral as possible. Um, so, and we understand that there will always be people who will not be happy about it. Um, but you know, there are other people who want to learn about it and explore the topic. So, yeah, and think about where you're going to be selling that game because that one specifically won't be in, uh, Northern Ireland. Well, everything's it's web-based. So, you know, it's available to anybody in the world. This yeah, theoretically, if, if you're going to, if you're going to produce the game, 
be wary. You're going to catch some kind of feedback. And then if you're going to buy, purchase, download, and then play the game and take it around, yeah, be careful about your specific, uh, your specific audience or the the people in particular that you're going to be gaming with. Exactly. So So don't expect to find it at the game shop in Northern Ireland. All right. We're done. We're done with the topic. Okay. Because we could spend the next three hours talking about this. Um, so I want to close out the, the, the show on a more hobby slash happy, lighthearted. Have you guys seen the new range from Army Painter? Chris, I know you invested in the Mega Set like I did. Um, they have a new set coming out. It's airbrush paints. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on those. Um, but I want to hear people's thoughts on those, um, you know, because I know – I hate to go down that road because there's just as many strong proponents or opponents uh, on paint lines. You know, whether you're a Vallejo person, an Army Painter person, um, Scale 75, you know, uh, P3s, um, uh, obviously Citadels. So, you know, some people like one over the other and swear by them. I in, I happen to own all of them. Um, so um, I I have my pluses and minuses on those. So uh, it's just another tool in the toolkit, but I would like a nice, expansive range of uh, airbrush paints. Um, Vallejo makes a nice range of airbrush paints, but they tend to be rather costly. Um, But you do, I'm a true believer in this, you get what you pay for. So um, I'd be interested to see those when they come out here in the next months. And it looks like their, their airbrush line is going to sync up really well with their regular paint. Yes. And that's so, exciting. Yeah. 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 So it, it's not like you got to figure out, you know, is, is airbrush blue the same as brush blue, right. you know, or which one, which one equals the other kind of thing. If you are mixing and matching them on a model exactly, and you're trying to, uh, you know, be able to, you know, go through the, the hues and tones with it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, that's right. one thing army painting or army painter does. Well, like their spray, their cans of spray paint uh-huh. do match their, you know, their droplet bottles. Yes. Um, I one of the things when I was painting, working on my ships, um, mixing my mixing my paints, I've got some paints that no, I, I can have them in the the shaker for eight minutes, and you still can't hear the ball rolling around in there. Yeah. Uh, and it's. I'm not that much of a fan of the army painter because of some of those inconsistencies. Um, well, Chris, I, honestly, that's because you don't use your paints. And so they sit and settle and all the pigment goes to the bottom. So it takes a long ooh, time. If you yeah. use your paints more often, you wouldn't have that problem. Okay. Well, understandably, but since most of our stuff is historical, Verde Gras Green uh-huh. doesn't get used quite a bit. Well, then why'd you buy it? Because it came in the mega set, like right. you said. Because it was part of a giant <laughs> set he bought. I mean, if, if you, okay, so this is a tip for all you people out there. If you're going to buy a lot of paint and you are, you know there are colors you're not going to use that often, you really need to set yourself for a practice of shaking your bottles once a month at minimum. And I think, Chris, you've given me an excellent idea. Uh-oh. I know, right? I, I think we need a review video on paint shakers. 
Um, so I think I'm going to, I have, I have one of the, the paint shakers for hobbying. I'm going to get one of those oscillating ones and then we'll compare, uh, I will get some paints that unopened that I'll let sit for like a month and, um, we will test them. I'll get the same color. So, you know, we can't say, well, it's black is more pigment than yellow or whatever. And, uh, I will test it. I'll put a ball bearing in each one because, you know, the stainless steel ball bearings. I'll put one in each one. I will do handshake. We'll do the Robertson's uh, paint shaker, which is I have on my table right now, and I'll get an oscillating one, and we'll see which one works the best. And maybe I will do a paint comparison. Um, so we'll do, like, a bottle of Army Painter. We'll do a bottle of uh, Vallejo, and I don't know, maybe we'll do a – I don't want to do a – Citadel paints because they're they, they're in pots, not um, dropper bottles. So, right, um, you know. So, yeah. and and we'll see how it works. Um, but really, truly, you know, all kidding aside, you've got to shake your bottles, shake, 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 shake your bottles. Um, in all honesty, um, I think that'd be a great idea because I think just in general on our channel, I think we need more hobby related, uh, more hobby related yeah. content. We've done a lot of virtual stuff, a lot of tabletop gaming, uh, even if it's only virtual. Um, hobby related stuff is sometimes a little more difficult to produce because you have to actually have a web camera and editing and set everything up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we need to uh, re-diversify, I think a little bit in our content. I agree. You know, Jim and I were talking about this the other day about, you know, do we refocus and all that? And that was going to be our extensive conversation for today, actually, not the, should we game this or not? Our actual conversation. Oh, okay. Whenever that topic comes up, Baruski's going to have plenty to say. All right. I've, 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 I bear the scars. <laughs> I've come by it honest. I've taken a lot of beating for that, and right. I, I shoot back. So, guys, we uh, on our next show, we will dedicate our time to our how do we refocus, where do we, you know, where do we re-energize ourselves? Because I'll be honest with you, work has been so overwhelming for me these last uh, couple months. Um, that, you know, it, it takes everything I have to put some content together. And I know Jim has been busting his ass, putting a lot of content together. So we need to refocus, re-energize, recenter. Um, so we're going to talk about that in our next episode. Um, we wise, we appreciate y'all hanging out with us. We need you guys to help us out a little bit. I need you guys to spread some love, get some people uh, we've had a little bump in the road in subscribers on our YouTube channel um, this last few weeks. Now, I, I equate it. I, I had a panic moment. Jim had pointed out we lost an, you know so many subscribers. But I kind of looking back, July is kind of a tough month. We, we kind of go dip, and then we come start coming back. Because it's warmer months, people are doing other things, at least here on the northern hemisphere. Um, yeah, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of COVID restrictions are, are lifting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, gaming clubs are starting to open again. I, I don't know how much of that's happening, but um, yeah. I mean, we haven't lost any net, but uh, yeah, we've we've sort of hit a, a little bit of a slow patch as far as growth goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we need to we need to figure something out. And the reason why this is so important, so everybody knows, the more people we have um, as subscribers, members, whatever you'd like to say. Um, it helps with getting us out in front. You know, there's all these computer algorithms, and Chris and, and Jim probably could talk to them until the cows come home. Um, but the more people that subscribe, and even if they're only watching it for two to three minutes you know, or listening to some, for even, you know, if it's not the full, it's activity, and then you YouTube and Facebook uh, promote it more, 
on their own. So it helps the channel grow. And honestly, with growth, we're going to get more content. We're going to get more variety because we're going to get more input. And we might get that next news guy. Or uh, we could get, you know, some another game creator, you know, or so we can have some really good in-depth conversations about gaming and, you know, so it, it leads to more. Um, so we really need to need your guys help on that. So if you could promote the page, share it, like it, subscribe, hit the bell, you know, all, all the stuff you hear on all the different channels, it would really help us as we start to grow. Um, the first six months of this year was been an, we had a meteoric rise. You know, we, we smashed through our goals. Uh, the last few weeks we've kind of plateaued. Now I would like to see us start growing again um, because we want to be able to offer more. And the more people we have that support us, you know, through subscribing and everything helps us as well. Um, I'm still working on our own individual website. You know, that'll be sitreppodcast.com or whatever I, you know, whatever I can get it. Um, and there might be a membership where there might be some things you know, for like $10 a year, you get, you know, early access to a lot of stuff. Um, you know, some, maybe some hobby videos, like Marty can finally do his, um, what did you do? Your, um, your vines, the your vine. vineyards. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, at a certain level, like a $20 a year pledge, you get a, a free t-shirt on top of it. So, uh, stuff we're working on, um, just to help alleviate some of the costs. Cause it, you know, it, it does help, you know, we do pay, you know, a monthly uh, service fee for this and service fee for that. And um, it's totally self-supported at this time. But, you know, as we grow, more things happen and costs start increasing. So anyways, um, I don't want to do Patreon again. I, I feel like a, a one-time annual subscription is cool and then we're gone. You know, uh, I don't, you know, Patreon model, I know I just feel funny about it, but that's my personal opinion. Maybe you guys have different opinions. But anyways, this whole pa po podcast is found. What's that? So uh, for you guys out there, the, you know, this show is all for you. Um, even if we don't talk a lot about a direct hobby, we're hoping we're giving you food for thought on your own hobbying, uh, whether it's, you know, miniatures, board game base, hex encounter, virtual, whatever the case may be. And it inspires you to go out and game and hobby, um, you know, and create scenery and stuff like that. So, yes, Marty and I are in, uh, we'll be working on our Savage Frontiers table here shortly. Um, yes. And then, um, you know, I still, we still have to do the uh, War of Scale. Um, so, um, it looks like I'm going to have to print up some different um, armor because uh, we're just going to use armor. It'll be, you know, M1s versus T, whatever. Um, T, what, what's the best tank to go against M1s right now, Jim, that's at historically accurate? It's not T-72s, uh, right? Historically accurate? Um, yeah, sadly, it would be T-72s. Okay. If you want to be, like, historically plausible, um, yeah, it could be uh, the T-90s uh, that the Russians are coming out with. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Um, there are certain Chinese tanks. Yeah. Uh, again, we're not talking about historical events, but historical plausibility. Um, yeah, God forbid something could kick off um, in the Pacific somewhere. Taiwan could be a good example. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, some of the new Chinese tanks are, are actually pretty scary. Um, they're often T-80 or T-90 knockoffs or inspired by or whatever derivatives. Uh -huh. um, but, yeah, uh, there, there are some scary ones out there as well. 
All right. So uh, we'll keep that in mind as I look for uh, STL files so I can print up some. Uh, because I'll have to print up something in 6 mil, which I'll pr- I have 3 mil. I think I have T72s or whatever in 3 mil from Pico Armor. If, but, you're, if you're more concerned with the actual just the tank type and yeah. not the nationality, yeah. a real nightmare scenario is a fifth well, who knows what the number would be, but a future Arab-Israeli war um, between uh, Israel and Egypt. Um, this could have happened in the wake of the uh, Arab Spring 2011. Thank God it did not. But if things go south again between Egypt and uh, Israel, Egypt is lavishly equipped with the latest M1A2s. Uh-huh. Um, they have almost as many as we do by this point, <laughs> amazingly to say. And you would see uh, M1A2s versus uh, Merkaba 4s in really? the Sinai Desert. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, again, I, geopolitically, I hope it's not uh, likely. I mean, uh, God forbid, again, this war ever happens. But if you wanted to get, again, uh, theoretical about wars that could happen in the future and you just wanted to put, again, they wouldn't be American M1s, they'd be Egyptian M1s. And you wanted to put M1, M- M1 or M1A2s or whatever, you know, you want to put Abrams up against the best possible tank that they could conceivably really come muzzle to muzzle with. Uh, it sounds crazy, but the Merck of a four yeah. could happen. Yep. So we'll have to look at that. Maybe uh, we'll get Jim to help be our historical consultant. And uh, we'll put it together. You know, basically, I'm going to just use what I have. I'm not going to. You know, like bust my ass to go out and get what I have because we're looking at reality of scale more than historically accurate tanks if that makes sense you know what if you're doing an armor battle with a, some mechanized infantry um, what scale gives you the real feel if you will so that's what we're going to be looking at guys so for the entire sit rep podcast team this is Bill sit rep six wishing you guys wonderful time gaming and hobbying Until we see you next time, take care, be safe, and have fun. You have been listening to the Citrep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 